Hello, friends, family, and everybody in between. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Potvin, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Gina Dobson. Gina is an actress, a teacher, and the author of the new book, Stop, Scapegoat No More, which is a book about the horrors of being a scapegoat in your own life. Her vision is to help her local community thrive and recognize the beauty and power that we all possess within ourselves. Gina was such a blast to talk to. Unfortunately, Zoom cut out like right before before we started talking about scapegoating and her book and all of those important things. So there will be a part two with Gina because I had such a blast talking to her. She's such a fun, amazing person. Um, so I hope you all enjoy and keep an eye out for that part two. Also, before we get into the episode, I wanted to ask all of you, do you prefer Donda or CLB? You know, Drake or Kanye? Uh, it's been bugging me because a lot of people are saying different things. I want to know your opinion. Personally, I think Donda's better but I've been blasting Drake a lot. Please don't judge me. Um, so I just wanted to see your opinion. Shoot me a message. Which one do you prefer? Donda, CLB? Do you even listen to them? Let me know. Now, of course, before we get started here, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. Gina, what's going on? Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Harry, it's my pleasure. Everything's well. It's Saturday morning in Los Angeles. I'm not fully caffeinated yet, but we'll get there by the end of this conversation. But I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm good. You just saw it. I just pounded that coffee back. It's like the, the <laughs> propeller for my day. Yeah. What, what, now, is there a particular, I know, like, I'm assuming... Are you guys obsessed with Starbucks? Although Canada has like great Tim Hortons, so I don't know. But like with all of that, do you like have a specific type of coffee bean or how do you take your coffee? Mm, I don't really have a specific coffee bean. I really liked Tim Hortons coffee for a while and then they switched up the recipe oh. and they kind of, I think they, I could be wrong about this. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure they sold their previous recipe to McDonald's. And so <gasps> McDonald's coffee is so much better now. Like it's not even close. And like that's only for hot. Like Tim Hortons is pretty good with their cold brew. I really like their iced coffee. But mm -hmm. in terms of hot coffee, I think McDonald's for me personally is like the best for sure. Wow. So they sold, they made money, but then they sold the, I mean, the golden calf. Because honestly, <laughs> who does that? That's a self-sacrifice. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the thought process was. I mean, some people yeah. like it, so, I mean, I guess it worked kind of, but ugh, no thank right. you. Right, right, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I definitely am. Though I am like a decaf um, Americano, so I'm doing a little... It's weird. I know that there's some caffeine in it because it wakes me up, but it doesn't put me on full blast. So, yeah, mm. that's what I start my morning. So I probably didn't do enough, but we'll see how it goes. If you see me hit my head on the desk, just ignore it's not me being disinterested in your interviewing <laughs> yeah my interviewing might put you to sleep uh, <laughs> no. so get that caffeine in <laughs> got it are you starbucks is big in the states i'm oh that's a stupid question if of course it is right 
Well, no, no. That, that's actually a valid question because we do have competition like Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf and Pete's Coffee, a lot of other uh, franchises. But no, it's, it is pretty big. Um, but here's the thing. People don't go for the coffee. We go for the baristas. Uh, the ones that serve the coffee. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, it's fun. The, the irony is I'll be talking about narcissism in the day, but I think everybody has an inner narcissist and baristas like obsess over their customers because they want the tips. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like an exchange that we have. And then their slogan is, we don't just pour coffee, we pour a cup of happiness. Um, so yeah, that that that's really good. And as someone who lives by themselves, probably a little bit more reclusive than I need to be. It's kind of nice to go out there and have people say, hey, how are you? What's going mm. on? And all that. So yeah, we, a lot of, I think that's why we go there. It's it's a big thing for the coffee, but for also the people. Yeah, no, for sure. It, Man, the worst was when I'd be in school or something and the barista, I'd walk up and the barista goes, same as usual. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm coming too often. Right, exactly. Is that why my lights went out last week? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're like, I already made it for you. It's on the counter. I'm like, oh no. Wow. Oh, so that's like whole next level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's no, really that's certainly. <laughs> but they have really good food. Like today, I had this. Um, they have these egg white bites. Not to take up the interviewing time, but. They have these portobello mushroom egg white bites that is orgasmic. They are so good. Just the texture of them. That's all I need in life is my book sales and egg white bites. And I'm good. It's mm. They're delicious. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get a sponsor from that. <laughs> I bet, especially because this is going to be uh, published into the stratosphere. I definitely want to get some. You hear me, Starbucks? Let me brand you. Yeah, yeah. Let me brand those egg bites. Right. The quote, they're simply orgasmic by Gina. Right. <laughs> Let that take you where it does. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Mm. So, Gina, I guess my first question for you. Um, what got you kind of started on this whole journey that you're on? Pretty so broad in question. General yeah, so my journey is multiplex. I mean, I'm an artist, I'm an author, I'm an actress, I am a teacher by trade. That's a guaranteed paycheck that pays my bills. Um, I just think it kind of happened organically. Um, I've never, ever since I was a little girl, I, I was quickly bored. And it wasn't that I was necessarily ADHD, that kind of happened in my adult years. I think it was the just I knew inside of me that there was something that needed to be cultivated and sent out to the world. And so, you know, that started um, with, you know, of course my parents being college educated, always preached education and said, you have to get a degree. And then from that, you do what you want to do. So that's what we did. We graduated high school, my siblings and I, we went to college and then I over-nerded and ended up with three master's degrees. And then um, I decided that I wanted to act. Uh, and so I took a risk and this was after a job and I don't mind saying fired me because I, well, I took on administrators and told them they weren't good because they weren't giving me curriculum that was grade level for my kids, so they retaliated. But then what was so cool about that was it was actually ordained for me to do so because it gave me space to then go into like acting classes and all of that. So like in that particular year that I was let go, it was like May 
June, I took my first acting class and by that November booked my first show. Then next year I was doing more television shows and film and all of that. And then that segue into me wanting to go into my writing craft because I am an English teacher. And so there began my journey on what I want to write with. And then as a Christian, I heard the Holy Spirit said, I want you to write a book. And I asked him what he said, scapegoating. And I kind of felt that I knew intuitively what, what that was, but then I looked it up in the dictionary. I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I began that process. And seven weeks later, I had a manuscript and eight years later, I published. So um, I, I really, I'm not a linear person. I'm a global person. I'm like a scattergram. And so I do things as I feel led to do them, which kind of gives me a, um, sometimes a, a lopsided existence, but it's, it's also a fun existence because you just never know what you're going to get. And I think a lot of people that, are, you know, especially since uh, we're kind of post COVID-19 since the vaccination, people are looking for having more fun and not being as uptight because before everybody was like on a you know, trajectory of, of being perfectionist. And so I think a meeting where people that are experiencing that and loving that my personality is kind of out there. And so, um, yeah, I think just kind of doing what I feel when I want to do it is what works for me. Just, I just let it rip where it does. And um, it's, it's pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. No, that's a great way to go. I, I'm in that boat of people that you were talking about where uh, before the pandemic, I was like, go, 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 go. You have to do this. It's linear. It's only this. And then once the pandemic hit, it was like, whoa, right. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. Right. It's, it's, well, it's, it's a reckoning within yourself. Um, it, it, cause you know, here's the thing. We had nothing but time for almost a year and a half. And there's only so much you can do in terms of, you know, crossword puzzles. If people do that or watching television or, you know, cause there was nowhere to go. And so I think everybody had to sort of excavate self and just be super introspective. And I think that's where like yourself, probably you're like, you know, why am I like putting all my energy into something that, you know, I'm not gonna take with me when I leave this earth. But, you know, it's just like that. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people that I'm talking to are doing life differently. And that's that's good. Like people is, is being Los Angeles is like being in New York. It's huge, it's rude horrible drivers were were no, notorious for our traffic after covid people are like oh no you can get in front of me i'm like what <laughs> like <laughs> this this whole you know just super philanthropic uh spirit uh is something else i think people really had a day of reckoning or a year of reckoning i should say and i and i'm here for it mm -hmm. yeah no i feel that i um I was in an interesting spot when the pandemic hit because I was done school. Well, I had like one or two courses left at school, but I was retiring from swimming. I, I had swam for 11 years okay. and then school was done. So everything up to that point, I'd been told what to do and like wow. where to go. And then once right. you're out of that, like everyone experiences it. Once you're out of college, you're kind of like, what right. now? But right. then when there's no jobs and there's nothing to do, you're like, oh, what now? <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, this is not rhetorical. This is a real question. <laughs> like, what do I do? Yeah, no, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, what now, man? Like, someone tell me. <laughs> What's so your it, major? It I'm great. trying not, to, exactly. I'm trying not to interview the interviewer, but I'm curious, what is your major? What, 
what was your major? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in biological science. Oh, wow. STEM careers rock. Yep. Yeah, a lot of fun. Hard, but Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot that you can do with that. Um especially now with um you know what what we're learning about global warming and everything. Um you could probably open up your own business and kind of figure it out while you do your podcast and bring in people and I don't know. Maybe you'll be the next prime minister of Canada and you'll have it all figured out. I think I'm a little more attractive than Trudeau, but anyway, that's that's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> no, no it's a true opinion. Trudeau isn't that. <laughs> I think Obama loved that. him more than anybody. <laughs> oh, Obama. Oh, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I, I love that they were such great friends. And um, well, then we, well, let me not be political. I won't talk about his. <laughs> oh, the four oh. years in between that? That didn't happen. No, it didn't. No, that that's all like an imagined imagine. What do you call it? It's it's. Uh, I'm in a utopian society in my mind, so that never happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it sometimes, honestly, like not to get into that, but like it it did, doesn't feel like it did happen. I don't know something about the last year and a half. Like time stopped existing. It was like time. Everything melded into one year. It was weird. It was. Um, I think I just became numb and pretended that he was not around, like he was a non-entity, mm. that he didn't matter. That may be a very coarse and crass thing to say, but I think if I really took in all of who he is and was during that period, I would have been crazy, honestly, just to see the policies that were crafted, that worked disadvantageously against people are already on the fringes and just how he set the course of this, this, this hate culture that really transcended around the globe. Uh, mm. And so I had to like, not take it in. And my mother was like, stop it. You know, you're, I, I see what, how it's taking you down. And I mean, some people that I know went into therapy behind him. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a real thing. He, he did collateral damage in this country. For sure. Yeah. Now, in your position, how did your, like, because with the last four years, everything that had happened, like, I, th I swear, like, there was a new thing every freaking, every time. How, how did your faith help you stay mentally strong throughout all of that? You know, I'll, I'll be honest, and, and, you know, I'm a member of the clergy, and I'm also, you know, I've been in, in Christianity for a while. But even my faith was being challenged because mm. I even, and God won't get upset with me saying this, and this doesn't mean I took a departure from the Lord, but he understands even as David in the Psalms questioned God and he was a powerful man of God, I asked, how could you put him in office? Why would you do that? Why, you see what he's doing? So as, 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 as a minister, it, I had to contend with my savior, knowing he does everything perfectly, Yet my limited understanding couldn't really wrap around what God was allowing to happen, not doing, because that was the Satan of, of Trump that was doing it, but allowing it because God has all power. But then what the Lord was showing me and everything became crystal clear to me when George Floyd had a knee on the neck. Mm -hmm. And I saw at that time that 
God allowed COVID-19 to happen so that we were quarantined to see a knee on the neck and to know that systemic racism was exacerbated by the vitriolic things that Trump was saying, empowering policing to harm people, saying, you know, if you arrest them, you know, uh, and I know he was talking about particular people, don't even cover their heads when you put them in the car, just plop them in there. Like he was invigorating this hate base in, in policing, which already has, well, you know, they, they don't have, I, and I'm, I'm not anti-police, I volunteer with police at times, but there is a thin blue veil where they cover each other and mm. they do things that are not always on the up and up. And that's why there's this, you know, sort of um, distraction uh, where the best way to put it is there is a chasm between what police do and what is the good of what police do and what black and brown people see because we're always being over scrutinized and traffic stops are turning into funeral stops. So the way that I, as a black woman, I, I show up intersectional, intersectionally as a black woman, uh, as, a, as a seasoned woman in age, taking up space and always worrying what it's gonna be like when I'm driving. And, and if a cop is behind me, what is that gonna look like? And I think that Trump really enhanced the hate that people that had trepidation around doing things against people received a free pass to do it. And so, you know, it was just, for me, it was difficult, like trying to reconcile the great God that I know God is, and then seeing the ugly and saying, God, what, what, what do we do with this? Like, you know, but then I understood at the same time that it had to culminate to a George Floyd for systemic policies to shift. And we're not just having a moment, I think that we're finally being heard. So, you know, there's scripture in Romans 8 and 28 that says, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And I see that playing out even as we speak. So what Satan meant for evil, God turned around for good. So it ultimately worked out. I didn't mm. mean to start preaching, but that's just part of who I am. No, but preach yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, it was it was a numbing experience, to your point, to have Trump there. But I think I had to intentionally numb, numb myself because I didn't want to become jaded. I didn't want to believe the things that he was saying. You know, there's there was a lot. I mean, talking about caging kids at the border, who does that? How do you harm kids the way that he did? And I got in that dogfight when I saw him starting to, you know, harm kids. I joined every, you know, email that I could and signed every petition to open up immigration, to open up our borders and to even help the countries with which, our, you know, uh, the, the children were coming from. And so I think it invigorated a fight in me. So I was numb, but then I was activated at the same time. Mm. So it's like a bittersweet kind of trade-off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll never see life the same. And I think that that's a good thing because I was just, you know, on that hamster wheel. I was always spinning and, you know, making sure, okay, next school year is going to start and I got to make sure that I have these books and, you know, and oh, and then if I, you know, have a day off, I'm going to see if I can book for this show, you know, and it was just like all of these things that were like, and after a while, I was like, why am I doing this? Like when I had time during the year and a half to look at my life and I, I'm like, I have to do this as soon as the world opens up. Uh, opens up, I have to do it differently. 
And so I, I think I'm, I'm on that path. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm excited for you. That sounds like really good. Thank you. Which, by the way, I wanted to tell you about um, a symposium that I just had June 26th that was on uh, race, class, privilege, policing, and mental health. And it was called um, Civic and Health Disparities, the Conversation, or the Conflicts, uh, the Conversations, the Conclusion. And I had a scholarly panel. I had police chief. I had um, the district attorney's office in LA and it was just magical. Oh, and I had psychotherapists and it was a magical moment where we just kind of unpacked uh, systemic racism and how it impacts in those areas and had somewhat of a resolve when we left. So, you know, a book that's birthed during pandemic, symposiums that now I've opened up an enterprise that I'll be consulting across the country uh, mm-hmm. other scholars to put together symposiums. So a lot of good things are happening out of a bad situation. Yeah, no, for sure. A lot of silver linings. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, we, uh, and I love that, Harry, that you said that there's always good in every bad situation. I hear about the phoenix out of the ashes, but I really believe that to be true. It's And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's kind of connecting with people that have those same ideologies so that we can always remain elevated and lifted. Yeah, well, exactly. If you like, it, it, it would. It's so easy to just fall into it with everything that we've seen the last four or five years. It's it. It's so easy to fall down that hole of the world is literally falling apart and no one right. loves each other and there's so much divide that there's no way we'll ever be able to repair it. Like that's ultimately what. It, it's so easy to just fall into that without looking mm-hmm. for any positives because I mean, fair, you know, when everything we've seen happens. Right. No. And, and, and I, I think that that's fantastic that you're saying that it's easy to use your point to fall down that rabbit hole and feel that there's no way to come out of it, but there is great. And I think that God gives us those little reminders. Like it, if it's someone just, Hold it. This may not be a big thing, but again, I'm in LA where people, I love my city, but we're pretty rude. Before a pandemic, no one held the door. Now it's today, it was beautiful. I went to Starbucks and everybody was like holding the door for the next person. Like some, something went on where people were checking their, you know, their social skills. And I think with social media, we kind of lost some of that because we're doing this all day. Even the adults are doing that. I tell my students, you shouldn't be using the phone as much. And then while they're taking a test, I'm like (laughs) checking to see, maybe it's my principal. I wonder if she needs me to, you know, cover cafeteria for lunch or, you know, whatever. And it's like, I'm always on my emails, but I'm learning. And I think you're learning. I think we're all learning just to slow down and dial it back. Mm. That that door holding sounds very Canadian. Oh, really? Yeah. In what sense? So, in in a good sense, or was it the uh, sense of them having to learn to do it all over again? Or no, in a good sense, Canadians are. Oh. Uh, I mean, you. I'm sure you've heard the stereotype that we're overly friendly. I don't think we fit that exactly. I've met some very mean Canadians, but we do. There is this thing where whenever we open a door, if there's someone like a hundred meters away, we're going to hold it. We'll wait. Wow. I found myself doing it. And then you lock eyes with the person and you're like, just hoping that they start speed walking or else it gets really awkward. And your arm is like (laughs) 
shaking. You're like, I got somewhere to be, but I don't want to close this door in your face. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. No, I, I know. And that just shows the excellent uh, parenting that you've had that you, you know, in all of it and all your, your, having to get somewhere that you're still making sure that someone has time to to be there and not have to have it slam in their face. So shout out to your parents and all the people, the village that really raised you well. That just man, shows yeah, shout what a wonderful young man you are. <laughs> Thank you. Shout, yeah, shout out to my parents. I've never, that that's the whole thing with all of the like hate and like disrespect because I, I encounter a lot of disrespect at my job, not from employees or anything, but from the general public who come because I work at the Toronto zoo. It's like a big attraction at the city and like just the disrespect you hear from people like just blatant. Like if you're wearing the uniform at the zoo, you're basically going to get like verbally attacked, like just degraded. And like, because people just, see themselves as above you in some cases i'm not sure what the whole deal is and honestly i like it's whatever but when i hear that blatant disrespect or like you go on social media and you see this hatred or like I, this div division i'm like i just i it, not even trying to gas myself up i just don't get it no it, no well because it's in our faces because it's happening in real time before that when we didn't have social media you heard stories but you were able to kind of shield what how much you wanted to hear but now like you could be typing a paper and then it's like breaking news a man randomly went up and punched someone in the face on you know the l train in chicago you know mm -hmm. or man you know or woman stabs a dog because he ate her you know extra banana like you know like stuff that you never thought the human heart could conceive to do um, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with it. And so I think it's even important to, you know, to kind of put a filter in how much we're looking in as it relates to social media, you know, cause I mean, Instagram has some great things, but it has some things and I'm like, Whoa, maybe I should, you know, get rid of this account. Um, mm -hmm. when you start seeing how people, you know, it's so sick how everyone wants like 15 minutes of fame. So they'll do anything through TikTok. Things that literally people have done things on TikTok that like police are at their door because <laughs> it's like, yep. you didn't know that that was illegal. You just did like, you just like burned up someone's car and you thought you did it as a joke. Like it's scary how this is just really make people chase success and just, you know, want to be seen, even if that means that they're jeopardizing their very own freedom. It's scary, but it's real. Oh yeah, and like you've got those trends like the Tide Pod eating. Ugh. I'm not. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I do, and I would, I would, I'll tell you offline. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I please, I gotta tell you a joke on that one. No, it's okay. sad, but it's just like I can't, <laughs> I just can't. But yeah, I very much remember that. Oh man, I, one of the big trends. Uh, I'll, I'll remember to mention that at once we're off air, but, uh, one of the big trends here is, uh, people film themselves driving on the shoulder on the highway, like where the ambulances are supposed to go and things they, oh they film God. themselves driving on that to avoid traffic. And I'm like, you really had your face in the shot and filmed it and posted it to your account. Right. What are you what doing? Were you thinking? I think they were the ones eating the Tide Pods. 
<laughs> it could very well be them. They're those surviving ones. Like it's just, it's so strange. It is. It's like, how do you not think that just one person is not going to know who you are? And that may be the person that you may have screwed over in a relationship that was dying to get back at you. Like that's the yeah, person that's going to call the police. <laughs> you just gave them ammo. Exactly. Well, it was the same thing with uh, the insurrection on January 6th, where people were scaling the walls of the Capitol and then like oh, doing man. selfies. And the FBI was like, you <laughs> who does that, right? And I'm still, <laughs> you just gave yourself to the authorities. I mean, people that never had cases that caught a case. And not only a, a caught a case, a federal case where they could be like in jail and the key is, is tossed. Because that's like treason. That's like betrayal of the United States. It's like harm against a federal employee with the Congress, you know, congressional representatives. It's like, dummy? Really? Yeah. Did you Did you see the guy who had his employee tag on him? No. When he stormed the Capitol? It was like no. the, he had like photo ID of where he worked as he's storming. <laughs> I'm like, you really didn't think that through, did you? Why is that part of your outf your raiding outfit? Oh, better put my employee number on. Like what? Right. What? <laughs> what do you think? Well, you uh, know, he probably wasn't thinking. Yeah, no, it was that, or he could have even because well, we can't pretend that that 45 supporters are very smart. They won't be known for that. Uh, hmm. He might have left job on his lunch half hour, <laughs> <laughs> and and said, "I'm going to storm the Capitol because my president said to me so." Need hey, what'd you do at lunch? Oh, I just stormed the Capitol. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I'm back on time. Put me back on the clock. Yeah, they'll never they'll never be known to be uh, intellectuals for sure. No, definitely not. On that on that whole note, like on the whole social media, like not the wanting to go viral, but kind of being exposed to everything, because in like the history of mankind, we've never been exposed like we are now. Like I when whenever the Internet became a really big thing, I forget when I was in elementary school, Facebook was just starting. It was kind of whatever. But like I never knew what was going on in like Thailand. Or even in the States, right. like you were saying when a woman killed their dog because they ate cat food or whatever it was, like I would never hear about that. And now right. like, these kids now are like fully, fully exposed. It can be a lot, especially with everything. So right. in your opinion, as a teacher, like how, how do kids now, how, are, how should they approach the next couple of years? Because it's a lot to take in. Gingerly, I think very carefully. And I think, um, but you know, it's interesting. I teach high school and um, as an English teacher, I love that we can have like these open conversations. They're appropriate. And I can always uh, tie in some kind of genre and novels that we can kind of put it all together and properly situate it. So that said, a lot of my students this year were saying that they wanted to come back to school because they felt like they were dumbing down through being uh, zoomed in and being taught, they themselves recognized that they didn't have uh, the levels of cognition that they had before, that, that, that it was very hard to stay focused. So I, I have hope for the older children 
that I have hope for all kids. I mean, I, I wouldn't do it unless, you know, as a teacher, I, I believe in all children, but I'm saying for the older kids, they are negotiating their own realities where they're seeing that they're not really using their brain the way that in which they should. Uh, and that's why as soon as we reopened schools April of this year, you know, a lot of them came back and they're like, oh, it's so much better. You know, they miss having those interactions and having even reason discourse around, um, you know, topical issues that concern them. For the elementary kids, I think that that has to be curated by the parents. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a five or six year old is not going to be able to say, I'm, I, I need to peel back a little bit on social media. You know, <laughs> I think it's yeah. going to have to be the parents to do it. Um, I know that it's sad, and I've said this in other podcasts, but I can't reiterate it enough that, you know, suicide rates were once a thing with high schooler, but suicide rates are now soaring even with elementary kids, that they are depressed when they start tuning in and seeing what's happening in around the world, and they don't have enough in their arsenal to navigate that that's just one part of it, but there's a nice part. And if they're going through hell at home, how do they balance it? How do they have a healthy critique of the world? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be the parents for the younger children that's going to have to be more custodial in terms of what their children are, are viewing online. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that breaks my heart. It's horrible. There's a lot of it. And I, I do know this when we roll out and, you know, school in person in the next couple of weeks, I know that there's going to be an unprecedented amount of social emotional support through our psychiatric social workers and counselors, because we understand that this is post-traumatic for our kids. Because mm -hmm. it's post-traumatic for adults. I mean, I'm still like, what just happened, even though it was a year and a half ago. And mm -hmm. I'm having to kind of unpack that. So, and I've been on earth a while, so I can't imagine what our, our babies are going through. So yeah, we're, we're, we, we understand that they've been through a lot and we're there too to wrap our arms around services uh, that are coming in from the community to help support us as we help to be boots on the ground for our children. Yeah, for sure. I like for the whole thing, I feel like a, someone who just experienced a car crash, it just happened and you're like, whoa, wait, I was driving a couple seconds ago. Why right. am I on the grass? Right. Just kind right. of snap and happened. I was like, it's August, 2021. Yeah, I I don't. It's 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 it, and the thing you know the thing about it, Harry. It, I think as human beings, we are engineered to try to control our situations as much as we can. And it's when we're out of line and out of balance is when we feel that uh, we don't have a level of engagement to 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 be better, to get better, to move forward in a healthy way. So. Um, when that happened, when, when COVID-19 happened, I think we didn't really understand it until after we got out of it, so to speak. And then it was just like, I realized that I, I might've, you know, with trauma, our minds kind of dictate, it can't handle it, so it blacks it out. I think this was a traumatic moment, much the same as that car accident, as someone being violated, that we kind of just blanked it out but then finally, now that we're seeing what's happened, you know, you know, 600,000 Americans that, that died, family businesses that, that, that were destroyed because 
of the lack of money coming in, the flow of, or the lack of thereof, the flow coming into it. And just everything is so different now. I think now we're, we're seeing the results of it and we weren't prepared to. And I think it's hard. And um, I just say, just do the best you can. Just don't have any over expectations and just try to, you know, tether with people that, uh, that, that are open about how they feel about it and just work it through together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't get, th get through this alone. No, 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 no. It, never. And that, that's one of the reasons that I make sure that I'm out every day just to see people and to make sure everybody's good. I have, I've always cared about people and I think now it's in a, in a way that I honestly see them as human souls. It's like, I honestly, that's, a, that's someone's story over there. I wonder how they're doing. And so now I'm saying, hey, how are you? You know, we're kind of looking just when I work out at the gym. Oh, I like what you, oh, where'd you get that outfit? Where'd you order? I want to make sure I order the same Nike outfit. I'm just finding ways to connect with people because I understood before that I was into my own world. And maybe that's a little bit of selfishness in part of me. But like now I'm, I'm being more intentional about connecting with people. And, and seeing what other people's stories are. Yeah, it's, this is a time for the world to really have that kumbaya moment. Mm. That was beautiful that every person is their story. That's, I've never thought of it that way. The one way I've thought about it, and it's not a personal, like I didn't come up with this. I don't want to take any credit for it because I heard it in like 30,000 other podcasts. But uh, like looking at someone and realizing like that was once a human baby. Mm. Like, and like their experiences and how they were raised, their nature and nurture kind of morphed them into what they are now. Mm. So, cause before for me too, like um. when I, when I would get disrespected or like someone would say something or someone was just, forgive my language. Someone was just a dick. I was like, mm -hmm. why are they like that? Like, right. and you label right. them as dick forever and you, you right. have a grudge against them. But when I started right. hearing that, like, oh, you know, this was a human baby and it just, right. it just morphed that my whole perspective on people changed. Right. Yeah. It, that just, wow. That just, that's a gut punching. That just did something to me. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what people, people are surviving hellacious things that we'll never know. Yep. And, and just to even get up and go outside could be monumental where for you and I, it's like an everyday thing that we don't think about. Yep. Uh, especially people that are in cycle of abuse. It's, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, the road rage is not about someone just trying to be what you say, but it's about the fact that something internally triggered them from maybe 20 years ago and they haven't been able to respond in a, in a way that's healthy. And so that's the one place they get control is on the freeways. You know, I, I and so I don't get as upset because if you want to piss me off, be a horrible driver and not care, right? Yep. Especially, especially when it puts me in danger or my family. And so, what, but now I'm learning to like push back on myself and say, you know, so what that they, you know, took, that light before I did and now I'm behind the light 
maybe there's something going on with them. And so I think it's that whole imagery of what you said. They were once a baby. And then there's that ellipsis, dot, 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 what happened between baby and where they are now. I love it. I'm going to steal it. Whoever you stole it from, I'm stealing it. (laughs) Good. Yeah, take it. I don't want it. Uh, But um, that'll be like $10, please. No, I'm kidding. But um, (laughs) cash app, drop it afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll drop it on the podcast. Anyone want it? No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) But for like on the topic of road rage, it happened because I used to get really bad road rage, like in high Uh school and high school kind of when I was first having my license, because I was just an angry kid. I I had so much bottled up that, and I didn't know how to release it. So the one way, like you said, was on the road. If someone did one little thing wrong, it was honk, honk, scream, flip off. Like, and now I just, you know, I'm I'm in a way better place. And you kind of look back and go like, man, there's millions of people just like that, Mm -hmm. that, that are just trying to let something out and they're crying to let it out. And the only way they can, the only way they can find relief in it is honking. It's like, okay, well. Right. And that's such a commentary on where we are as a society that there's nowhere to release it. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, what, and that shouldn't even just be therapy. Like, where's the compassion just as general humanity? Like, we should be able, again, soul watching, looking at people, being able to read people's facial gestures and being like, are you okay? I've done mm-hmm. that before. I'm like, are you, if I see someone that looks a little down, are you okay? Like, where is that that humility and that humanity? And I'm glad that you were able to work through what it is that, you know, was hurting you because hurt people hurt and wounded people wound. I've learned that. And I've been there. I've been the wounded one that wounded. Mm-hmm. And it wounds me more because I know it's not good to hurt someone. And then you have to sit there and see them suffer at your hand. So, and I'm not saying anything physically, I'm talking about like intimacies and relationships, you know what I mean? So um, it's important to always just, again, introspect. What is it? Because we know what we're feeling, but we have to find a way to, um, to get it out and to be able to, to, to call it what it is and not judge it and then take the appropriate steps to move forward so that we don't harm other people. Yeah, no, you nailed it. Like when you when you're wounded and you emotionally wound someone else, it's like the easiest way to let your stuff out. But then right. you 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 nailed it in the head. It it's the worst cycle ever because you see the product of you wounding them. You see the end right. result and then you go I'm a horrible human being. And then you beat yourself up and then you continue to be wounded and then that's the only way out and then it's just that loop. Right. Right. We just got to jump into that, that, that puddle and get dirty and figure out what it is. You know, we, we, we can no longer dismiss it because then it becomes transgressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a story on the topic of road rage. It was actually a couple weeks ago and I drive a mini Cooper. It's like a mm-hmm. little small Doesn't car. Yeah. I love yeah. Those. And, and uh, I was on my way to work and I was really tired and not in the best mood. And this guy was like, I could see him in my rear view mirror. He was like swerving through traffic. And I was like, oh, it's one of these guys. Like everyone's trying to go to work. Like, why don't you just fall in line? And he went into the, it got, he, he came up to me and then he went into the left turning lane at the light and we're going. And then he just kind of cuts in front. 
So like uh, he used the left turning lane as like a lane. Right. And I was like, what the hell? Like he he was so close to my car. I was like, that's not how we do it. And so right. I honked. But my horn on the Mini Cooper, it, it sounds like someone's pushing a fart out. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, like, I don't even know how to recreate the noise. And I just burst out laughing. I was like, man, I wonder what this guy's thinking. This little Mini Cooper's like, I'm like, oh, I can't be mad. <laughs> that was the gift from the universe. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, oh, he's he's going back into that loop. Here, give him a ridiculous horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a water cooler like conversation when you got to where you needed to get to. That's yeah. fantastic. And you and that makes us laugh at ourselves when things like that happen. Like, really, I got this. Even though we had a right to feel that way, but then after a while, like to get ourselves to that moment of want to slam the horn. It's like, okay, yeah. It's yeah. not that deep. He didn't hit my car. I'm good. He's good. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. It gives you that step back moment where you're like, oh, yeah. I was getting way too worked up. Right. Yeah. And that's all of us. And we just move forward. We, we get it. And, and what's great about it, Harry, is that with every time we practice the art of, and it is an art of patience, it's easier. You know what I mean? I, I know I have to do it for myself. Because, you know, sarcasm is my second language. And it's easy for me to just say the most rudest stuff when people do stupid stuff. But I'm learning yeah. to just like, you know what? Gina, chill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pull it back. Yeah. And it just I, gets, I, feel now, I still think those sarcastic thoughts. And that makes it even more fun because they don't know what I'm thinking. Right. But I just don't say it. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, I've definitely been there. I've oh sarcasm. It, it's the only way to get through everything. Right, exactly. It's and the especially ultimate with kids. Yeah. Oh, you know it's funny. Uh, we so the district had, that I work in. Um, before I was teaching full time, I was subbing, and the sub folder it it gives you the do's and don'ts of what to say and do to kids. And one of them says is and never use sarcasm. And I'm like. Well, how am I going to make it today? <laughs> you know, because you know yeah. that's that's it's that's always like the bag of tricks, and like it's the ultimate GPS. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah, oh, man. Especially yeah. when they do something or say something, and you're like, "Well, do we think that was a great thing to say, huh?" Or like, <laughs> "Well, that wasn't right." Like when you when you're when you're telling them animal facts at the zoo or something, and you're uh -huh. like, "Hey, kids, do you know what animal this is?" Tiger. Nope. Uh, not even close. <laughs> it's like, that's the only way you get through it because kids say tiger for everything. So you got to add the sarcastic spin or you're going to go, no, it's not a tiger. We haven't seen a right. tiger today. Exactly. It keeps you in your job and it keeps them happy. But then when they're 15, they're going to tell their friends, you know, when I was at the Toronto Zoo, guess what this guy said to me? <laughs> you know? yep. And I just realized it was sarcasm. Like, don't get it 15 years later when you're off doing great things. So it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's happy. Yeah. <laughs>